0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Off Day Podcast with Andy Hart and Chris Scheim on weei.com. Back now for another Off Day Podcast. I'm Andy Hart. He is Chris Scheim joining me as we continue to talk Patriots and pre-draft process less than two weeks away. And that's where we're going to jump off today is Matt Grow, the newly minted Patriots director of player personnel taking over for Dave Ziegler who moved on to the Las Vegas Raiders with Josh McDaniels. Matt Groh did a Zoom in which he talked about really a lot of different things regarding the Patriots, the draft, the draft class Um, and I think some of those are really interesting and where I want to start is what he had to say about kind of the wide receiver position and the evolution of prospects at that position. He talked a little bit about the way high schools and young prospects are playing a lot of 7 on 7 impacting not only not only how good they are but the quality of athlete that you're retaining i thought was interesting he kind of kind of indicated that if 7 on 7 didn't exist you'd be losing some of these athletes to other sports like basketball yep but but because guys have an opportunity to play early legitimate competitive football at a younger age it's almost like the AAU version of future NFL players, this 7-on-7 yes. action. And, and I thought that was interesting because I hadn't really thought about that or or heard a lot of talk about that. But the one thing he did say is two, actually two things. One, he doesn't see it ending. It's another good impact wide receiver class, and he thinks these are going to continue to come that way because of the whole uh, developmental process through 7-on-7 high school and then college. But he did say, if you want one of those guys, you can't just sit around and wait for them to fall in your lap, whether it's Amen. in the draft or even, you know, what we've seen with Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill and teams being really aggressive in trades and free agency. So all of the comments that Matt Groh made about wide receivers and about the draft, are you more or less optimistic that the Patriots are targeting an impact wide receiver in this year's draft?
1: Uh, I am less confident that they are targeting one in the draft. Um so I am more confident that they are targeting a veteran receiver, but I am also not super confident that it's a top tier veteran receiver because he also said because you mentioned how he talked about you can't necessarily wait for the draft to try and draft a guy and hope he turns out like you. Just, sometimes you have to go out and get a veteran guy, and you saw that with Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill, and I, I think that's the way Matt Groh leans. But however, everything Matt Groh said about receivers, I was in. I was like, yes. You're one of us. You're a nerd. You look like you could be an extra and new, <laughs> in an in, in anchor man uh, with that haircut, and you are one of us, brother. Preach because there is not going to be a bad wide receiver draft anytime in the near future for like the next five years minimum. Um, so I, I think he understands the landscape, uh, but he also recognizes the fact that the draft is an imperfect process, and you're not always going to find a great guy early in the draft. Um, and one of the things, too, that was pointed out to me is you'll notice. If you go back and look at a lot of the first receivers taken in the first round, outside of Jamar Chase and Amari Cooper, and, and I guess if you want to count Hollywood Brown, like those are the only three guys in the last, what, like 10 NFL drafts that were legitimate NFL starters. Like you're talking about guys like uh, Corey, was it Corey Clement? or, or yep. uh, And 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 uh, Justin Blackman and a bunch of guys that just didn't. Mm -hmm. pan out in the NFL whether it was for personal reasons or whatever they just didn't pan out and so there is that inherent risk in taking a first round receiver Uh, and that's why a lot of the times the second round receivers are the guys that actually play better because they go to better teams and they're not they don't have to be the number one guy right off the bat so I I am more confident that the Patriots are targeting receiver I'm not necessarily confident that they're going to do it in the draft.
0: Okay, I'm choosing to remain optimistic. I'm choosing to interpret Matt Groh's words as, yes, I'm going to go get Jamison Williams if he is anywhere within reach oh, of God, me. Oh, God, I hope so. Um, now, I'm not sure he will. You know, Jamison Williams is going to be a really interesting prospect on draft night. He might and, go top
1: 10, by the way. Uh, I,
0: I still think he might. Um, and that would, I assume, put him out of reach of the Patriots. I don't think they're investing that much to go get him. Because if
1: you—and um, not to—I don't I don't want to slow your roll here, but if you pulled maybe 10 different NFL experts on who the best receiver in this draft is, you might get five, six different answers.
0: Sure, sure. And obviously with him, the injury is a part of it. You know, if teams are like, no, i got to get somebody that can play right away and he's going to be delayed. 100%. Um, But I'm choosing to think he's still going to be aggressive. I'm choosing to think that wide receiver is within the realm of possibility at 21 or, as I said, even at 19 or 18 or 17 or 16 if they were able to move uh, a little bit to get a guy that they like. Um, I do think one of the aspects that could sway it is the cornerback depth or lack thereof. And if, if all the top guys, McDuffie and Stingley and Gardner are off the board, maybe they start see, well, we're not taking the fourth best corner here. It's not good value. Maybe that pushes a wide receiver down. So I do think all his comments about wide receiver were interesting and they were also mixed in. And here's where I'd say it was sort of a general comment. Speed. He mentioned speed a number of times, both Mm -hmm. off. I think he said offense, defense and special teams, to quote him, um, that they need to get faster, which I think is music to the ears of Patriots Nation. I think everybody left, you know, December 26th and whatever January night that was against the Bills, both those games and said, whoa, we don't measure up. We don't have the athletes, the speed, the playmaking ability to do the things you need to do in 2022 NFL action. Now. You know, you can't just draft speed. You know, the Raiders were famous for doing that. Al Davis would fall in love with a forty time, and that doesn't mean a guy can necessarily play. But I do think, and we hear, we've heard this for years. You hear it with a lot of, t- oh, we got to get faster, speed. Our focus is speed. Um, but I think with the Patriots and the way they aged, and you know, talking about um, guys like Dante Hightower and Kyle Van and bigger linebackers, and you know, even Devin McCourty in the back end, and I, I do think, and offensively. I do think there is there is reason to believe they are legitimately looking to just flat out get faster.
1: I think they have to. I, I think they have to adapt to current-day NFL, and I think they absolutely need to get faster at just about every position on the field. Like, it's not – getting faster isn't necessarily even just, like, a by-position type thing. It is just as a team, whether it's right. linebacker or corner or safety or offensive lineman at this point, too. Like, you just need faster guards who pull better. It's – you need faster receivers. You need fast everything. Today's NFL, you need speed, period. Uh, or otherwise, people are going to blow by you on we, every aspect of the field.
0: We saw that in conjunction with, and we, we've we touched on the, the Jabril Peppers signing, yep. uh, because Matt Groh even indicated, you know, sometimes that's moving players around and, and getting more speed on the field that way. Schematically, you know, a guy like Peppers can be your slot corner, your linebacker, your safety, whatever, box safety, whatever you want to call him, but if you put them on the field, your your overall 11-man athleticism and speed is probably a little bit better than some other uh, guys you could have out there in different situations. So I do think that's interesting as we approach April 28th, and then not just April 28th, but the 29th and the 30th, that speed uh, could be a factor. And I'm going to be interested to see where guys fit speed-wise. We've always talked about quickness. Patriots are a three-cone drill kind of team. Um, And this was a year where 40 times were up or or down, I guess. They were better 40 times in a lot of the combine training and and as guys get faster and train better for those things. I'll be interested to see as we look at whatever the three-day haul ends up being for the Patriots if you can tie together the theme of speed as much as it sounds like Matt Groh would like to. Agreed. Um, The other position that I thought he talked about interestingly and rather definitively was linebacker. And he said, uh, you know, the days of the big linebackers are gone. It's not 30, 40, 20 years ago. And college football just doesn't produce them. And you see, you know, there's a they few. Don't. There's one-offs. Sure? There's one-offs here or there. Um, but you look at a guy like Nicobe Dean. He's undersized. That's just the reality. Some teams have trended in this direction earlier. I mean, even going back, you know, 10 years, some teams trended more towards smaller athletic players and and, and have had success there. And there was even the era of, oh, we're going to move Mark Barron or Dayon Buchanan, safeties to linebacker and some of that. And, you know, the Patriots dabble there with Adrian Phillips. But I thought it was interesting to basically just say, like, we got to take what college football gives us and find a way to use it. And if you have a good football player, again, I'll pick on Nicobe Dean, five 5'11", 230 pounds, to just dismiss him because, nope, says here, if you play linebacker for the Patriots, you got to be 6'3 or taller and 240 or heavier well, you're doing a disservice to your roster, to your depth chart, to your talent pool. Um, so, I liked what I heard from Matt Gro, and as we as we get into that discussion of linebackers and size, do you think Matt Gro was speaking Matt Gro, or was Matt Gro speaking Patriots? No. Is Matt Gro a representation of the new age, collaborative Patriots that have maybe altered Bill Belichick's impact and way of thinking?
1: That's my hope. Uh, I think that is the the path I hope the Patriots are on. But I do think that that is Matt Groh speaking for Matt Groh. I don't think he's speaking for Bill Belichick. I don't think he's speaking for the organization. I think he is speaking for himself, what he believes, how he sees prospects. And to his point, it's true. As weird as it may sound to a lot of people, football is a trickle-up effect a lot of times, right? Like things that happen in high school football then get adapted into the college game which then get adapted into the NFL and it's generally like kind of like five-year cycles and five-year lifespans of things and and Andy Reid has been one of the proponents of that of really scouting out the college game and understanding what's coming in the NFL game which is why he's been so successful at crafting NFL offenses for what 25 years now so um so I, I absolutely believe in that philosophy that Matt Groves trying to get across to people like we need to get faster we these linebackers are not going to necessarily be your six-two, two-sixty 260 thumper guys we need guys that can move that can fly around the field that can slide into the slot that can cover running backs coming out of the backfield you need all of that and um, in today's NFL it's becoming more and more important every single day
0: and it's a lot like uh, I call it kind of the NASA effect You know, you see so many products over the years that NASA was originally developing to do X, Y, and Z on the space shuttle. Yes. But it didn't work. Yep. But they were like, huh, betcha we could use this for another, you know, use, find another opportunity to put this to good use. And there's a lot of products in our society that have come about through that sort of trial and error. Oh, it didn't do exactly what we wanted it to do, but ooh, it does something useful. Yes. And... I think that's good coaching. I think that's good team building. And I do think the NFL pushed back against it for years. There was like, nope, we're going to teach you in the first couple years of your career to do exactly what we need you to do. And then by year three, you'll be ready to go. And I think some of it is economic. While we're paying these guys a good amount of money, we might as well get them to have an impact right away. And they yep. can have an impact if we tailor what we do to some of their skills and experiences more than making them transition over a two-year period to do what we do. And we've certainly seen it at the quarterback position where for years, like, you had to be tall, you had to have a strong arm, you had to be a pro-style passer for the most part. Well,
1: I think in New England, the biggest representation of that mentality is the wide receiver position. It's been so hard for other guys to acclimate into the system quickly because Belichick, from an offensive viewpoint is very has has been at least very stuck in his ways this is our system learn the system we're not going to change anything to accommodate you it's you learn the system or we're just going to move on
0: right and And so
1: I I'm hoping that mentality may be changing a little bit
0: and it may be and it may be an opportune time for that obviously with the the moving on of Josh McDaniels and I guess, uncertainty as to who is going to be doing what on the offensive staff and maybe Josh being stuck in his ways, quote unquote, the way he was taught originally 20 years ago. Now might be a time. And even Robert Kraft alluded to that, right? He talked about taking advantage of the untapped potential of some of the guys that are already here. You know, I chose to read that a little bit as John Smith, but some of the guys that are on this roster that he thinks they can get better return on investment from. It'll be interesting to see whatever. Belichick, Nick Caley, Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, all pull together as the 2022 Patriot offense. Um, and maybe that is, you know, changing some things so that it is easier for young receivers or even old receivers coming in. You know, we've seen plenty of those fail, too. Or even your
1: young quarterback.
0: Yep. Like yep. It
1: Just everybody on the offense in general. I mean, you're going to have a young offensive lineman, assumedly, as well. So it's just it, across the board, it helps younger players who are generally faster than older players. Uh, acclimate quicker and therefore you're going to naturally increase team speed.
0: Right. So, you know, I think the linebacker position is maybe the most dramatic of of where there could be a change in what the Patriots are Definitely. looking for in prospects, but it may be sort of emblematic or symbolic of of a new age Patriots regime. That is, you know, Elliot Wolf and Matt Grow and even maybe Matt Patricia to some degree, and we'll talk more about him in a little bit. Whereas maybe these guys are having an impact on Bill Belichick's thinking in the Patriot way, quote unquote. One thing that I did kind of like was Matt Groh pushing back on the idea that you know somebody asked him about not the draft's not as top heavy and you know twenty one to sixty blah blah blah, and he basically said I feel like we hear that every year that oh there's more and he's like well there's more guys there's more guys you can pick there. But he kind of pushed back on the idea that, oh, just the smart thing to do is trade down from 21, get more picks, and you'll be fine. And I liked that he didn't necessarily shoot down the idea because I think there are very specific times and candidates and players on the board, whatever, where that does make sense. But I don't always think it's better to have, you know, more bites at the apple, quote-unquote. If the apple's a little more rotten, I'd rather have the really good apple and only one bite, right? Exactly. I liked that he kind of pushed back on that a little bit.
1: I yeah, I, I think that's smart, and I think you see it, you're, as you're seeing it happen a lot in the NFL today, right? Like the Philadelphia Eagles, they had three draft picks in the first round this year. They traded one away to New Orleans and basically just pushed it off to next year. They got a couple yep. extra late round picks, and it's like, all right, cool. We get a couple extra stabs. We're gonna push our one of our draft picks off. We still got two picks in the first round, which is great for us. We need young talent. We're gonna take our two stabs. Uh, we didn't necessarily need the third one. We'll kind of push it off. And so I think, in that regard, that make it makes a lot of sense, right? If if the guy you want isn't available, but and the next guy that on your board that you really want to take isn't going to be pit, taken for a little while, I, I don't see the problem with trading down. Like I don't think you it's it's a necessity. I, I don't think it's something you actively search out for. But if the situation arises, it'd be stupid not to consider just you know. Postponing your first round pick a little bit. If you can get a right. first round pick the following year, it's like all right, next year's draft class looks a little bit better. We may have different needs then with guys that would fit those needs. So I, I like pushing it off. So I, I'm I've never been like solely against trading down. Like Oh, that- I'm
0: not either, but I the way I would phrase it, and I don't know that everybody looks at it, I would like to trade down because I don't like what's available at twenty one, not so much because I like what's available at fifty four. Right. So if I look at the board and I'm on the board near the top of the board, wherever my first-round pick is, and I don't like the talent, sure. Trade down, trade out, pick up a pick for next year, all for it. But I don't look at it and say, well, there's a good player on the board at 21. But if I trade down, I might be able to get two good players at 50. No, no, no. No. If you said to yourself, good player on the board at 21, take the damn player that's on the board at 21.
1: There's a reason he's a good player at 21 and not a good player at 54.
0: Exactly. So that's where I kind of – yep. Parse words or differentiate myself one thing I did find interesting looking at Peter King today as we talk about the depth of this year's draft class is he really looked at the the covid year pandemic extra year six year players um, and talked about how maybe in that fourth fifth sixth round there's going to be a lot of really good experienced football players that aren't necessarily going to be stars or even starters. But there's a a big chunk of players that are probably going to be able to come in and help NFL teams based on their maturity and their experience and everything they've been through um, as sort of veteran prospects more than boom or bust, you know, underclassmen prospects. So that feels like something the Patriots theoretically will take advantage of. And you could see some of these older experienced guys that maybe pay off in a deeper draft than in years where it's like, okay, we're in the fifth round. Let's take a flyer on this talent Maybe this year they take a flyer on, this guy could be a good backup for us for the next three years.
1: Yeah, I I guess that's true. Uh, I I mean, I think you can also look at it opposite, right? Guys that have played in college longer may just not adapt to the NFL quickly enough. Um, Just because you started all four years in, in college is great. It doesn't necessarily translate all the time to the NFL, unfortunately. Um, and it's like, yeah, you have like experience it. playing at the college level. You don't have experience playing in the NFL level. So almost to that regard, it, it almost makes sense to trade away those picks and find a veteran who has that experience in the NFL at the NFL level, right? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. No, in I mean, some, I can in some see regards, that. you know, but it's, it's also, always the know, case. You but get a fifth round pick that's cost effective for three years. You get value out of that. True. If you get for it for sure. A, a, third day pick on your if you think he can be on your roster for the next 3 or 4 years even in a lower level special teams and backup role that can help fill um fill out the sort of the salary cap mosaic in a positive way yeah it uh, can
1: i just get nervous about like, those older guys unless they are absolutely dominating at the college level the older guys kind of make uh, me nervous in that if they if, were
0: dominating at the college level they probably wouldn't be there but, for as long
1: it, true but if they're not dominating at the college level then uh, how do I ex- at that age? How do I expect them to dominate in the NFL? Well, you
0: know I don't. I mean? Or, or if if even were dominant, like- they'd be starters and stars. But I'm just looking to fill out a 53 man roster with uh, value talent.
1: Sure. Okay. That's. I, I guess that's fair.
0: Um, so. Did you have any other thoughts on before? I, I want to transition into Groh's uh, mentioning of Matt Patricia and what that means for his role. But no, was please, anything... let
1: me rip Matt Patricia some more. Go ahead.
0: Okay, so uh, Matt Grow brought up Matt Patricia multiple times in his pre-draft press conference. Once in regards to uh, the Devontae Parker trade and saying Matt Patricia got us in early on that and got us the information, was a key role. I already sensed the tone and sarcasm. And he brought up Matt Patricia as... Part of the sort of scouting department and a guy he can lean on and learn from, I believe he said, obviously the wealth of knowledge Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia have. Put them in the same sentence, paired up there with a conjunction that kind of jumped out to me because I wouldn't necessarily look at Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia as same-same type sounding boards. I would sure as hell take uh, Bill Belichick's advice more than I would Matt Patricia's. Oh, but yeah, Maybe a little bit. So, so in conjunction with what Groh said... And what Bill said at the, the owners meetings and in what we've seen, is Matt Patricia doing absolutely everything for the New England Patriots? He
1: like he's like the Swiss Army knife. He's doing yeah. a ton of stuff and We like that? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's here's the other question I have for you. Why is a guy who gave Trey Flowers five years and ninety million dollars the one that you're excited about helping get in on free agents?
0: Uh what what good free agent maybe he, did he learned he... from his mistakes. What good free agent
1: did he sign in Detroit?
0: Uh, oh, that's
1: right. There aren't any. <laughs> well,
0: I you, just... I mean, some of that might have been Bob Quinn. Bob Quinn was his personnel guy, a former patriot as well. Sure. Um, was the GM there. Okay. But I, I just my concern isn't necessarily about Matt Patricia's uh individual capabilities. It's just that very... his
1: grubby fingers like my own are just on everything at the
0: buffet? yes but also he's not really familiar with certain aspects of the buffet like if he's the offensive line coach I want his head excuse me almost dropped an f-bomb his <laughs> head down focused on the offensive line yeah like I, or
1: and if you're gonna I mean, be did the we front have dante
0: Scarnecchia like doing everything or was he the best offensive line coach mastered offensive line coach and went and worked out offensive line prospect like that's he what was he was an did. expert yes so Matt Patricia, I'm now to believe, is helping out with Mac Jones, is coaching the offensive line, is signing contracts, is suggesting trades, is preparing for the draft. He's like the GM slash Ernie Adams slash Dante Scarnecchia slash Josh McDaniels. I don't, to me, that's not even fair to him, really. Forget you, about.
1: You're making him into a jack of all trades and a master of jack bleep.
0: And it definitely continues to feel like, whether it's true or not, you're making him into Bill Belichick 2.0. Oh, like Bill God. can do everything. Vom. Bill, Bill's got his fingers in all aspects of the organization, and Matt Patricia is the closest thing you have to Bill Belichick, a defensive coach who can also coach offense, who can also sign free agents, who also also can run the war room. Um, it I also just also
1: makes me more under the impression that like Matt Patricia is. Like, the next in line.
0: Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. No question. No question.
1: Oh, God. I would. No, thank you. Please, God, no. Can we do, literally get anybody else in here to do stuff?
0: Like, please, not Matt Patricia. He may not be the next in line, but it's hard to look at it and not at least think that.
1: They're grooming. Like, it looks, it absolutely looks like they are grooming him to just be Belichick 2.0. And I, for one, am completely opposed to this idea. (laughs) Like this see, is this is ridiculously idiotic in my opinion.
0: Now, who do you think is doing it? Is it just Bill, Ugh. or is it as I've mentioned in the past? I could see Matt Patricia appealing Ugh. to Jonathan Kraft. I really could. If that is the case, uh, then
1: Jonathan Kraft has awful taste. <laughs> um, Wait, people said that about Robert and Bill back
0: in two thousand too.
1: Yeah, well, Bill is different. <laughs> Bill is well, built yes. different. Yes. He always has been. And yes. he always will in be. In so many ways. In, in so very many different ways. Uh, Matt Patricia is not Bill Belichick. He never will be Bill Belichick. He will never be three-fourths of Bill Belichick. So I don't understand what you see in Matt Patricia that indicates that he can do all this and he should be doing all this. I think you're right. It is unfair to him because at the end of the day, when all this is said and done, if you are going to put all this on his plate, it's not going to make him look good. Because he is going to look real bad when he screws a lot of this up. <laughs> like I Assuming just, he does. Uh, yes, I am very much assuming that he does and will. Because that's just uh, that's how I see Matt Patricia. I just don't see this working out at all. And I, for one, am disgusted by the process.
0: Wow, disgusted?
1: Yeah, harsh words here. I am not parsing anything.
0: Disgusted by Matt Patricia's uh, overall role with the New England Patriots, Chris Schein. Yep, uh, well, that's the headline. There you go. So I I kind of agree with you. I'm not as passionate and as emotional about it. You have Um, optimism.
1: It seems to be the theme of our podcast.
0: Well, I I have some optimism, but also more so I just, to me, it's a Bill issue more than a Matt issue. Um, Okay. He's he's the puppeteer, and Matt's just a puppet. And I think Matt's a confident guy who is really beholden to Bill Belichick, respects Bill Belichick. And Bill said, I think you can do this. I think you can do that. And I don't think Matt's the kind of guy that is going to say, no, I can't. Right, Bill, if Bill thinks I can do it and I'm a confident guy, okay, I'm going to try to do it. I just don't know if it'll work in the end. My and one question for you yep. is, you know, I know Belichick's kind
1: of a hard ass to the media a lot of the time, right? We understand that. It's a
0: hard ass to a lot of people, but go exactly.
1: ahead. Exactly. Um, but has Bill ever outright in a press conference said to someone, sit up, have a little respect for yourself, have a little respect for the process?
0: Um... No, he did mm. once. Um, there were a couple guys off to the side in the press box at Gillette Stadium in a training camp press conference who were clearly not reporters. I don't know why they were there. They they were there for a business meeting, something. And then um, they were talking like they were kind of a distraction. And Bill did stop and say, guys, guys, can we get a little respect here?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a little different than a reporter asking Probably. a question and you being like, hey. Sit up. Have a
0: little respect right. for the process. Especially when the coach doing it is, you know,
1: Matt Patricia, wears a pencil working and wears for, a clown
0: shirt and wears, w- you know.
1: Working for the Detroit Lions at the time and wasn't winning a gosh
0: darn thing. But doesn't even present himself necessarily in the most professional uh, no. attire or manner. So I thought it was interesting. Like if Mike Nolan, when he was wearing suits on the sideline, wanted to tell somebody to like
1: sit Tom up, Landry. dress
0: better. Yeah, but... You, the the guy who wears clown shirts and a pencil in yeah, his ear no, and a backward no, so. hat and, a, and an constantly overgrown beard constantly chewing ear. on his bottom lip. Right. Yeah, no. He's the one telling me what a professional's supposed to look like and act like. Nope. I th- found that kind of laughable, and I like Matt. I just think that was a colossal misstep in his time. A little bit uh, with the Lions, and just
1: and his... one of many. Uh,
0: he's had a few. Um, speaking <laughs> of potential missteps, we had reporting this week from Greg Bedard, Boston Sports Journal. That he claims he got to the bottom, quote-unquote, of the Billy O'Brien situation and the fact that, A, Billy O'Brien had a two-year deal, so he was under contract with Alabama, which I don't think is surprising. I think we probably kind of just assumed that from afar. It's not, he wasn't a free agent, so yeah, he's under contract. Um, but that Bill did not even approach the idea of getting Billy O'Brien, Bill Belichick, because he didn't want to put his buddy Nick Saban in position to have to, you know, sign off on it or accept it or whatever. Um, A, what's your reaction to that? And B, does Bill Belichick seemingly have more unwritten rules in the game of baseball? Uh,
1: yes, he does. And B, I don't I, – I understand it. I get it. It makes sense. Like, that part of it makes sense to me that Belichick didn't want to infringe upon his buddy Nick Saban just to poach Bill O'Brien. Um I get that because I think that Bill, as weird and sometimes aggressive in general as he can seem, like at the same time, I think Belichick has his own certain code of conduct and uh, and honor system, and I think that's one of the things that he would abide by. His buddy Nick Saban has a coach uh, that he would really like on his team, but that coach is under a two-year contract. He's only been there for a year. Okay, I'll kind of wait it out, and-, and if I still need him next year, then I'll go get him. But I don't think I don't think he would step, especially Nick Saban. Like, there's only a few guys that Belichick would put in that category. I think Saban is one of them. Um, where I don't think he would go and step on his toes um, just to get a, a, another coach in the building.
0: Is his job to be buddies with Nick Saban or do what's in the best interest of the New England Patriots?
1: It's always to do what's in the best interest of the New England Patriots.
0: Did but he do in that? Bel-
1: Belichick's mind, his thoughts are what is best for the New England Patriots.
0: Hmm. So this is like Colonel Jessup. You're goddamn right. I ordered the yep, code red. Exactly. You're not allowed to order code reds. Doesn't matter. I know what I'm doing. You need me on that wall. Yep. You want me on that wall. So Bill's rules supersede the rules of you know. In his post-action. mind, yes.
1: In his mind, his rule is the
0: rule of the New England Patriots. I don't care for that necessarily.
1: I hey, I have I I never said that we all care for everything that Bill Belichick does. Uh, however, his his methods have deemed to. Uh, uh produce results so
0: <laughs> yeah, they used to
1: true fair fair it hasn't I'm like, been that I'm like way Robert Kraft three or four years um but they have and and so you know in in that instance I guess that's just kind of the way it's going to be I trust me I would approach Bill O'Brien too if I thought Bill O'Brien was going to make my football team better and make Mac Jones better I'd go get Bill O'Brien I don't really give a rats behind what a college coach has to say even if he is my friend Plus, like hey buddy you're my pal I'm gonna take your offensive coordinator sorry not sorry I need him to win a Super Bowl
0: it's a pro- and it's sort of a promotion for him if he wants to get back in the league like if he accepts it it means he wants the job it means he wants to be back in the league whatever if you're Billy O'Brien I would also the details of the situation Billy O'Brien was a free agent like he's a mercenary just like most of the offensive coordinators at Alabama have been for the last like six or eight years. He has
1: gone through like seven or eight of them.
0: Yeah. So it'd be different to me if Billy O'Brien was like 26 years old and he had just ascended from QB's coach to coordinate like Saban developed him Saban didn't develop him. He hired him just like Bill would be hiring him. Yep. So that would factor into my decision I would have gone after him. I would have liked to have thought that Saban and I have been buddies, coworkers, whatever for 40, 50 years that it, there would be like an understand I don't know I just I, I guess I would look at it if Saban had a problem with it then that's Saban's problem not mine whereas I wouldn't have looked to protect him with my unwritten rules and all this crap but great you have unwritten rules and now you have a special teams coach as your quarterbacks coach and a defensive coordinator <laughs> as your offensive assistant so yes you do you'll show them cutting off your nose to spite your face <laughs> um Bill Belichick indeed turned 70 over the weekend Happy birthday Bill Happy birthday, Bill. He celebrated at Vanderbilt, watching a Vanderbilt baseball game. I saw that. They, they were in town. You know, he has a home in Franklin, Tennessee, I believe it is. Linda Holiday's uh, mother still lives there, so I think they were in town for some of that. They like Nashville. Bill's talked about it um, on our station, actually, about liking Broadway and going to some of the honky-tonks and the various bars and enjoying the music and tootsies and all that. Um, he also has a connection with... Not surprisingly, because he's a bit of a star bleeper. But if there's a a dominant program or coach, he usually has a relationship with that guy. And Vanderbilt certainly, baseball falls under that criteria. Yes, they do. Um, any concerns about Bill turning seventy? Like, is this you know he famously said he didn't want to be Marv Levy. Well, he's Marv Levy, and he's going to be coaching into his seventies. He's looking to join Levy as the only coach to win ten plus games in his seventies. I think Romeo Cornell a couple years ago when he filled in for the Texans was the oldest coach in the NFL at seventy four. But are, are we still looking at Bill Belichick's age as any sort of a factor in his performance or what you expect from the Patriots?
1: Yeah, of course you are. I I, I think you have to. I, 70's I he's not
0: the new forty or something. No,
1: that's not how that works. Still seventy because, because there's a bunch of coaches in the NFL who are in their thirties and forties. Right. Speaking of, uh, Sean, McV- of Sean McVay, Sean McVeigh, Kyle Shanahan, uh, Matt Lafleur, Cliff Kingsbury, just to name it, a couple. Uh, I mean, Mike McDaniel. I- I'm pretty sure he's. Okay, I don't we even get know it. How many young he? How young he is? I need to look that up. But regardless, there, uh, young coaches are the wave of the NFL. Not these old guys. There's actually few old guys. They are the minority now. There is not that many of them anymore because teams want the young, innovative, smart guys, and that's just kind of how it is. And so, do I think Bill Belichick can still do the damn thing and, and win games? Yeah, but at the same time, if he isn't. You can attribute that some of that to age. I think that is valid.
0: Mike McDaniel is 39 years old.
1: Yeah, exactly. Hey, wow. He's actually Just older than 39. I
0: thought. Just turned 39 in March. Good for him. Um, so you said young and innovative. Can you not be old and innovative?
1: Oh, you can be. Ask Andy Reid. Andy Reid has been very innovative over the last five years, I would say, with okay. Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. I think he's done an exceptional job of being an innovative offensive coach. I so think it's possible. you'd rather have
0: Andy Reid than Sean McVay?
1: Uh no, oh, I, I think I'd
0: rather have Sean McVay. Oh, I'd rather have Andy Reid. I think Andy Reid's a stud, mm. absolute stud. Of a I coach. think,
1: don't get me wrong. I think Andy Reid's a Hall of Fame coach. Like I don't, I just think right now, if if I'm starting a team and I have to pick a coach, I want Sean McVay. One even one season, I I want to I I need a coach. I would rather Sean McVay. I think. Yeah,
0: as long as he doesn't retire.
1: Exactly. I mean Andy Reid could retire any second too, to be fair. Yeah, but at least
0: he's old. Bill Belichick, I I said this the other day in one of my notes columns on on the website that like still the most remarkable thing is like Bill doesn't show signs of losing interest or slowing down. None. You can argue he's not as good, like Like, he had a bad year, but you
1: can see him I I don't want to use the word shirking, but like he's he's lightning. Or yep. he should be lightening the load a little bit as in terms of responsibility by giving so much to Matt Patricia.
0: Yeah, We'll see if that works out or if he really is. Or yeah, if he's like, true. oh, Christ, I'll do it myself, Matt. I thought you could do it and you can't. I'll do everything around here. I always have. On a side um, note,
1: I also think the whole Sean McVay retiring thing, Aaron Donald retiring thing was a little overblown. I don't think they were ever actually going to do that. But that's just my opinion. And I just wanted to get, a, get that out there.
0: I, I agree. I also think there is zero chance that Sean McVay is coaching the Rams in 15 years. Ten years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He'll, he'll be, be gone. He'll he'll be in the booth. He'll be doing right. what John Gruden did. Right. And may may or may not go back. Whatever. Unless, but
1: unless he is perennially winning Super Bowls, that's that is the one thing that can change that.
0: Even then, I don't think he will be. Oh. I, I think this is remarkable. The Bill Belichick twenty-two year. Oh, run. it
1: absolutely is. Uh, don't like, get me wrong. I think it absolutely is. But, but I don't but,
0: even mean the success. I mean, like that he's still there doing it, wanting to do it, like.
1: Just Is it? So though? Many I mean, Andy Reid's doing the same thing. He's been coaching almost as long.
0: Right, but he was asked to leave in one place. Like the fact, but yeah, that he's he did one have to team, teams. That's true. Good enough. Still motivated. Still driven. And I think part. You don't of- think
1: you could. You don't think you'll see that at a John Harbaugh? I mean, he's already been doing that a long time with one team. You don't think you could see that at a Mike Tomlin?
0: He's been doing um, that for a very
1: long time with one team. He has. He's never had a losing record.
0: See, those guys and, are tiptoeing and- through it because I think. They're pursuing something that is incredibly important, and that's the second one. Yep. You get a second. Whereas Bill had the second one wrapped up early. Bill's legacy, like Brady's, was wrapped up early. They were a dynasty. Yeah, third year. And and then all of a sudden to keep wanting to do it and coming close and failing. And, like, those guys, and I would say the same thing for Reed. I think Reed had to get a ring. Absolutely had to get a ring. Or he was going to be a guy who couldn't manage the clock and couldn't win the big one. So they had to pursue something. Bill, as you said, in 03-04, in that era, was stamped as one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game, had a dynasty that he'd overseen. He could have packed it in and, and his legacy was set, but he chose to keep dedicating himself and obviously extended the legacy, a second dynasty and all that. But I think... I think he's a different breed. I mean, I guess yeah, it's I mean, the obvious of course there. he is. He's he the is greatest coach breed. of all
1: time. I, um, I just, I think there is a chance that other coaches that not maybe won't have the same level of success over a twenty-year period, but will have sustained success over a twenty-year period with one team. I think it's possible.
0: Okay. Um, one more thing I wanted to get to, not necessarily Patriots news, but former Patriots news, Patriots-related news. Stephon Gilmore. Reached a two-year deal with the Indianapolis Colts. Yes, uh, a team that the Patriots could be battling with for playoff positioning could be a team that you see as ahead of the Patriots. Given. And a team desperate for cornerback help. Desperate for cornerback help. So I would ask a question because I had, you know, Andy Gresh. We talked about it a little bit uh, on the midday show the other day when I was filling in for Rich Keith. He was kind of dismissive of Stephon Gilmore. What is he at this point? Like, what can he do? I think he'd be the best cornerback on the Patriots right now.
1: Well, did he say the same thing about Malcolm Butler when the Patriots signed him? Because I would be more dismissive of Malcolm Butler than of Stephon Gilmore.
0: Me too. Uh, programming note. Malcolm Butler, I know you don't like when I do this, and I, what do you, time stamp it or date stamp it or whatever, but we're recording this on Patriots Day, Marathon Monday, yeah. and Malcolm Butler is scheduled to Zoom with the media in the afternoon as the Patriots open up the first day of voluntary workouts in their off-season program at Gillette Stadium. Classic Patriots PR move. It's a holiday. People are focused on other sports. The Celtics are in the playoffs, and they put Malcolm Butler available so that he can answer as few questions from as few reporters as possible regarding anything of any interest to fans. Um, that's my side note. So Malcolm Butler, look for quotes, comments, and etc. about his return to New England. Uh, you're right. Uh, Malcolm Butler is way more of a wild card at this point, even though Stephon Gilmore is coming off a quad injury. Um, We've already seen him return to the field for eight, nine games to close out last season. Um, Picked off your Super Bowl. I mean, your Pro Bowl quarterback, Mac Jones, um, was certainly at a competitive level for the Panthers. Uh, I don't see how this is a bad move. I think he got 14 million over two seasons uh, from the Colts. They needed cornerback play, and quite honestly, They're an AFC playoff contender, so you added a former Defensive Player of the Year at a position you needed to fill.
1: Yep, I I think that's a positive for the Colts. Good job by you. I think that absolutely is the right decision. You needed help with that position, former Defensive Player of the Year. I think Stephon Gilmore has at least still something left in the tank. I don't think it's all that much, but I think there's still something there, so I think that's a good value add.
0: And the Patriots are still looking for a number one corner because even Mike Reese, who is perpetually positive... Uh, wrote in his Sunday notes column, if the season started today, the Patriots starting corner would be Jalen Mills and the question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> and he just sort of threw all the other possibilities out there. So it remains the biggest position of need heading into the draft, I think, or, or at least near the top of the heap. And as I said, there's this belief that maybe not a quality number one corner will be on the board at 21. But we will be back to talk more about other prospects in an off day podcast later this week. We'll focus on the defensive line. Where there's some interesting names, including what I feel like is a a little too much love from Patriots fans and Jordan Davis, the oversized, over-athletic defensive tackle out of Georgia. But we will get into that. I'm going to
1: explode
0: on that podcast. I want you to know.
1: I'm going to lose my mind similar to how I lost my mind about Matt Patricia. So there you go. Something okay. to look
0: forward to, people. I look forward to it. I look forward to the energy and the passion and the information. Always. we'll be back next week with another Patriots regular off-day podcast as we talk about everything that's going on with the team in the week of the draft and a draft preview as the Patriots look to hold on to trade or trade up from the 21st pick in the 2022 NFL Draft on April 28th. For Chris Scheim, I'm Andy Hart. That's another off-day podcast in the books. Peace out. See ya. You've been listening to the Off-Day Podcast with Andy Hart and Chris Scheim on weei.com and the Odyssey app.